I want to take as my text this morning that reading from the prophet Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 954. Malachi chapter 3 and beginning at verse 6, which I'd like for us to read again. Malachi chapter 3 and beginning at verse 6. And God is speaking through the prophet. And God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore you, O children of Jacob, people of God, you're not consumed. <laughs> from the days of your fathers or your ancestors, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say... How shall we return? And God said, Will man rob God? And yet you're robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions? And you are cursed with the curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. And so today we're wrapping up our three-part annual stewardship series. And the theme this year has been giving that matters. Giving that matters. Indeed, truth be told, it isn't very difficult to give in a way that doesn't matter. Indeed, church people do it all the time. In fact, some church people don't give at all. But assuming that most give something when the alms basin comes around, many when they give don't think much about it, either before or after they give. And truth be told, if they stopped giving, it probably wouldn't matter very much because it doesn't matter very much when they do. But in this three-part series, we've been thinking together about what it means to give in a way that does matter. Indeed, two Sundays ago, we talked about giving that matters because it's generous. And last Sunday, we talked about giving that matters because it's sacrificial. And this morning I want us to think together about giving that matters because it's faithful. Giving that matters because it's faithful. Now, having raised this subject of faithfulness, something to keep in mind as we start is that God is faithful. <laughs> and in particular, God is faithful to us. And this is something of what it means when God says in verse 6 that I, the Lord, do not change. Uh, that, that God does not change uh, and, uh, and, and how that relates to our relationship with Him means that God is a God that we can trust. He doesn't change. You can count on Him. Which is another way of saying that God is faithful. That is to say that if and when God makes a promise, you can be sure that he'll keep it. Or on the other hand, if God issues a warning, you can be sure that he will follow through 
on it. And so we read in Exodus chapter 34 and beginning at verse 6, the, the Lord saying, the, 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 the Lord is, a, is a, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. One way you might put it is that you can expect, without exception, that God will be God to you. And God is faithful, and God is God regardless of what any of us may do. That is to say, regardless of what we may do, God's character remains unchanged. In fact, this made me think of an interesting verse uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in particular verse 13. And Paul writes and says, uh, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. <laughs> you can do what you want. God does not change. And God is faithful. And so Paul says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so we read in our text, verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change, and therefore you, O children of Jacob, he's, that's another word for Israel, God's people. <laughs> I, the Lord, do not change, and that's why you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Why? Because I've made promises to you. And I'm a God of second chances and third chances. I have my limits, but you haven't reached them yet. That's what he's saying. And so you haven't been consumed because the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this truth, Malachi says, is true even though, verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you, the people of God, have turned aside, you've disregarded my statutes and have not kept them. And so God is faithful. And His faithfulness is unchanging. And in particular, He is faithful to us. As John Stott wrote in his book, People, My Teachers, and I've used this quote so many times, it's just so valuable and so true. Stott said, it is precisely because God is faithful that faith in Him makes sense. For there's no one more faithful than God. And so God is faithful, and in particular, God is faithful to us. And God calls, God's calling to us is that we be faithful to Him. And that even if we have been unfaithful in the past, indeed regardless of our past, God is calling each of us this morning to be faithful to Him now. Notice again our text, beginning at verse 6. For I, the Lord, don't change. And therefore you, O children of Jacob, you, my people, you're not consumed. 
Verse 7, from the days of your ancestors, the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. You've ignored them and have not kept them. But notice as verse 7 continues, return to me. <laughs> you would think maybe God doesn't want you. If this was a description of your life, and it may very well be. But he says, return to me. <laughs> return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Your sin is an impediment to our relationship. Return to me <laughs> and I will return to you. In fact, uh, James in his letter in the New Testament says something similar. Of course, the New Testament is very much influenced by things that we read in the Old Testament. However scary the Old Testament might seem to be to you. But James said in chapter 4 and verse 8 famously, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And so God is faithful to us and God calls us to be faithful to Him. And that Regardless of whether we have been unfaithful to him in the past, God is calling us today on the 19th of November to be faithful to him now. And not just faithful to God in general, which we should be, but faithful to him with our finances. In fact, that's exactly what the the prophet is talking about, or the God through the prophet is talking about. Faithful to God with our finances because this really matters. Indeed, notice again, beginning at verse 7. For the days of, from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, that's my commandments, my directives. You haven't, you haven't done what I've asked you to do. <laughs> return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. And this is a, what comes next is a, is a key feature of the, of the prophecy of Malachi is this, uh, these, this questions back and forth between God and the people. But you say, you, the people, you say, uh, but how shall we return? Or really the living translation uh, gets the, uh, the true idea behind this. How shall we return to you when we never left? And that's how people feel, you know, like, yeah, I'm walking with God. Are you? Is that how God would describe it? Maybe. Or maybe not. See, because God, God traffics in truth, whereas we traffic in truth when it serves us in traffic in lives, lies, when those lies serve us better than the truth. How shall we return when we've never left? Verse 8, and then God asks the question, will man rob God? And yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, Lord? And God answers, in your tithes and contributions. Verse 9, and so you are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me. The whole nation of you. And at that time, the whole nation was the people of God. Now, the people of God is an international reality. And so God says, you are robbing me in your tithes and contributions. Now, a tithe is a fancy word that you only hear in church, I'm sure. Do you hear it anywhere else? I don't hear it anywhere else. 
But it's a simple word. It just means a tenth. And here's the principle. That everything I have and everything that you have comes to us as a gift from God. Now you might not think that, well, I worked hard and I went to school and I did those things. Yeah, you did. And how did you manage it? Well, you managed it because it's in Him that you live and move and have your being. If you think you're in control of things, think about your birth. Were you in control of that? No. My parents were. Really? Were they in control? Were they, were they the, the absolute cause or were they were an instrumental cause? Are they, are they the ones that bring you to life? What happens to them when they die? Do you die? Which shows you just how instrumental they are rather than the source of your existence. Everything that you have and everything that you've been able to accomplish I mean, we talk about privilege. Well, the primary privilege is existence itself. Everything that we have comes as a gift from God. And then God asks for 10% back. I don't know what tax bracket you're in, but that sounds a pretty good deal. In other words, God gives you this beautiful basket of 10 beautiful apples. And then he says, and now I'd like, I like one back because I've got a special purpose for that one apple. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Where did you get that idea? You give me everything, you give it to me, and now you want one back? Yeah, I want one, I want one back. I'm a giver, and I want to teach you how to be a giver. I give everything. I'm just asking 10% from you. And I have a special purpose for this. And that's the principle of the tithe. What's interesting is that when we hold the tenth back, notice how personally God takes it. See, when you, I, and by the way, I don't know what anybody gives at Holy Cross. I don't look at the books. In fact, just so that we can reach out to people, I know who does give and who are pledges, at least, I should say. Though I know who pledges, and, and by default, I know who doesn't. But that's just so that there's a number of, we've, that's just part of, but I don't know what anybody gives. I have no idea. And I have, by the way, I have absolutely no interest. It has nothing to do with me. In fact, the only time I ever know what anybody gives is when they give it, when they tell me. And I'm not exactly sure why they're telling me. That's the only time I know. And so when you don't give to the church, see, you, you, this might be hard for s some of you to understand. I don't see this like I'm the CEO of this religious business. So the finances are, well, they're important. I mean, they're not unimportant. I mean, we meet every month and talk about them. They're important and I contribute to them. Following this principle. So they're not unimportant. But it's interesting that, that when, when, when we don't give what God asks us to give, God doesn't say, you're robbing the church. <laughs> Did you notice that? He doesn't say, you're robbing the church. When we don't give the tenth as God directs us to give it, He says, you're robbing me. And to be quite frank, when... When, when I give to the church, 
I know that it's going to help and so forth, but I'm giving to God because my thought and my hearts are directed and informed by what the Scriptures say as God speaks through the Scriptures. Indeed, notice again verse 8. Will man rob God? And yet you're robbing me. But you say, because we like to, oh Lord, how are we robbing you? And God says in your tithes and contributions. And then the, the language gets pretty salty here. Spiritually salty. You're cursed with a curse. You're robbing me. That's no good for you is what God is saying. Or in the New English translation. You're bound for judgment when you behave this way. For you're robbing me. I find it interesting how different uh, our view of money and material things is in, in comparison to the way the Scripture speaks about money and material things. Old Testament, New. It really is extraordinary. In fact, if you stop and think about it, you, it'll become very, very evident very, very quickly as to what it is that is informing your view on money and material things. And in all likelihood... It's not God, but the world. I mean, think, listen to some of these things. You're like, these are the sorts of things we read and we go, yeah, pff, you're right. And then you go on to another Bible McNugget to find something that you can find useful as you're pursuing the world the way the world pursues the world. But listen to this. In fact, I think this was, uh, no, this, was this from today? No. This was uh, one, of a, one of the scriptures, maybe last week. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Paul says, and godliness with contentment is great gain. Some of you would maybe have, even have difficulty putting those two things together. What does godliness have to do with contentment? Because I can't imagine being godly would make me content. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think God is content? Well, of course God is content, and the more you are like God, the more content you'll be. And what God is and what God gives you is a thing that can never be taken away from you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of it. Now, verse 7 is one that you can't deny. You didn't bring anything in and you take nothing out. It was like the guy, they had a mutual, two men, they had a mutual friend who died, and one said to the other, how much did he leave? And the other guy said, he left it all. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. <laughs> if you had food and clothing, would you be content with that? The apostles content. Think of what Jesus said in our gospel reading today. Luke chapter 12, and in particular, verse 15. And Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness, that is greed. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I remember going down to Guatemala, it's been quite some time and one of the observations with my group, you know, you know from Sugarland, was like, 
How can these people be so happy with so little? Well, that's a good question. How do you suppose they're managing it? Maybe their happiness isn't attached to the accumulation of things. In fact, how happy are you? I just heard a statistic today that 40% of the American population is on antidepressants. I mean, I'm not making a judgment, I'm just saying something's wrong. And apparently it doesn't have anything to do with the abundance of, of the things that we have. And as we mentioned last week, the only reason why you think that, that you may be poor in, 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 um, in relation to other American people is because Americans are so rich. And if you were to compare yourself to the overwhelming majority of the rest of the world, you'd have some sense of how rich you are, but riches don't make a life. Otherwise, as Scott McKee had pointed out, otherwise we wouldn't have people hanging themselves in this neighborhood with the BMW parked out in front of the house. Or as Jim Carrey said, the comedian, he said, I think everybody should become rich and famous and get everything they ever wanted so that they can find out that it's not the answer. And so Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or again, Jesus, no one can serve two masters. Stop fooling yourself. And there's only two big, listen, the great rival of God is money. You think it's the devil. It's not the devil. It's money. The devil's behind the money, but it's money. Sometimes uh, on the belonging course, I've asked this question. How many of you have ever stayed up or lost sleep at night because you had financial problems, because you thought you were going to lose income, you lost your job or something? You, in other words, you, you, you couldn't sleep because you thought you were going to lose money. Every hand goes up. And then I said, now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever lost sleep because you thought you were going to lose God? And nobody's hand goes up. If you want to know what the gods are in your life, ask yourself where your anxieties take you. But Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't do both. No, that's what Jesus says right here. No one can serve God and money. You must choose. What's interesting, too, is the law the, the, that the, the tithe principle isn't a law principle as much as it is a relationship or principle. Sometimes people say that. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I follow the New Testament. And the tithe is a law principle. We live under grace. Well, we do live under grace. But tithe is 10%. Last week, right, we were in Mark chapter 12, and Jesus praised the woman who gave 100%. Actually, the, you might say that the the New Testament's a little more stringent than the old. The 10%'s a good place to start. <laughs> but it didn't start with the law. The principle of the tithe that's a relationship principle, a, pr a relationship principle between God and me or God and you, that predates the law by actually hundreds of years. 
In fact, we read about it in Genesis, and one place in particular, there's other places, but one in particular is the story of Jacob. Jacob is coming back into the, what we know is the, back into Cana, in Canaan. And we read in chapter 28, and beginning at verse 20, and then Jacob made a vow. What's that? That's a promise. That's what you're doing when you make a pledge. Now things come up, you lose your job, whatever. People call all the time, say, hey, you know, I made a pledge, but I'm not going to be able to keep it because I lost my job. And we say, oh no, you have to, no. Yeah, we, of course. Now we start praying that God will give you a job and a better one. And that happens oftentimes too. That's a story I hear oftentimes. I lost my job, and, but then God gave me a better one. So God, J Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. Notice the stipulations of the vow. The terms of the agreement. If God will be with me, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That one's covered. Keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. Is that base covered for you? Then the Lord shall be my God. And of all that you give me, Lord, I will give you a full tenth. I will give a full tenth to you. And so what to do? Notice again what God says through Malachi. In verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That's the temple in Jerusalem. That there may be food, that is resources, in my house. And thereby put me to the test. Now this is a very interesting statement because this is contra Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16 that says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. But here God says, put me to the test. Do what I'm saying and put me to the test. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not, when you do this, open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Or as Peterson in the message put it, I will bless you with a blessing beyond your wildest dreams. Now, every faithful giver knows that this isn't an exaggeration, but this is the truth. In fact, I've spoken about it before. In fact, if I was to go back, I mean, I've been practicing faithful stewardship since I was in my late teens and for many years trying to see new ways in which I could do it so that I can do more because it is in fact more blessed to give than to receive. And if I was to, to, to enumerate for you all the blessings and all of the ways in which God has provided not just what was needed but things that are beyond just mere need, I would, it would take a month of Sundays to list it all. And every faithful giver knows that. I hear this all the time. You know, I was always concerned and everything, and then I decided, well, I'll do the 10th thing. And then all of a sudden, I get this check. And then all of a sudden, I get this. And all of a sudden, I hear this all the time. 
And so a faithful giver knows that it's no exaggeration. But no one knows it personally rather than by hearsay until someone determines to be a faithful giver. Proverbs 11 and verse 24 says, There is one who gives freely, that is, one who gives almost without counting. <laughs> it's like with abandon. There's one who gives freely with abandon and yet grows all the richer. And St. John of the Cross said, All good things come to me now that I no longer seek them for myself. It is absolutely um, ironical and counterintuitive in the way that it actually works. But God will never be a debtor to you. And if you take him up on this, you will never be able to say, I trusted God and he abandoned me. I trusted God and he didn't do what he said he would do. I've never met anybody like that. Because <laughs> everybody who does it has the other story. And so how about you? As I said, I've been personally practicing this since I was in my late teens. In fact, uh, when I was 18, I lived with my grandparents. I was going to college. And I had a small, I had a job in a shoe store. So I figured, and I wasn't making much, so I figured the tithe, and the tithe from what I was making seemed so small that I doubled it. Now, I was able to do that because I lived at home, and I'd had, you know, other, other expenses were covered. I, I never bought dinner. I, I ate it in the kitchen with Grandma and Grandpa, right? And so that allowed me to do it. But that was always the way. Okay, so how can I do this? And, and live in the principle of it, not just by the law of it. Okay, well, there's 10%. That didn't mean much to me, and I'm a tither. If 10% isn't meaningful, then do something else. But I've been doing it a long time. I believe in it, and so that's why I talk freely about it. In fact, uh, there was a, a time not so many years ago, I was thinking about, you know, there's things like, uh, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't talk about this or talk about that. And then I stopped and thought, and I thought, who are the people who made the greatest impact in my life? And you know who they were? They were the people who told me how they prayed. They were the people who told me how they studied the scriptures. They were the people who told me how they gave. They were the people who told me what was the motivations behind the services that they got involved in. They told me what they were doing and why. And because I knew the details of it, I was able to follow their example. And so some years ago, I thought, well, you know, I'll take a risk. And maybe somebody will say, well, you're just bragging. Well, I hope I'm not. I'm just trying to impact you the way others have impacted me. And so as I've said, God's promises are true. It's not about robbing the church. It's about robbing God. <laughs> and when we do the in-gathering here, together at the end of the service, Linda and I will be doing it with you. And we'll be doing it with joy and expectation.
if no one else gives, I get to give. <laughs> and no one can give for me. And no one can give for you. One last thing. As I was thinking about this. For Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. And God says, those who honor me, I will honor. And so I want to challenge you to do the thing that will honor God. And God will honor you. And should you choose to pick up this spiritual discipline, and maybe you came today not thinking that you would, but you do the math and figure it out and commit yourself to it. And if you do, I guarantee there'll be no regrets. Amen? Amen? Amen. Giving that matters because it's faithful. Let us pray. Lord, give us a story to tell. <laughs> give us a story to tell, and you will give us a story to tell if we take a risk and obey you. That's what makes walking with you exciting. Because you reward obedience. You reward faithfulness. Now and in the life to come. You're the one who says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well, why do you say that? In the age to come, because in the age present, we live that way. And if we aren't living that way, we shouldn't expect that you should say anything like that to us in the age to come. This is the time of testing. And you've told us to put you to the test. And so we'll do it. Maybe some of us are tithing. We're saying, that's not enough. That's, that's not. What, what sacrifice? And uh, you are speaking to them to do more. Give them the grace to do it because they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. We love you, and we're going to show it. In Jesus' name, amen.